Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Stuart Mazell. I'm the pastor here. It's great to see all of you here today, and thank you for those of you who are joining us online. Uh, we are going to be continuing our series on identity. Uh, we have been talking about what it means to uh, be identi identified as a particular kind of person and uh, who God calls us to be. For example, we've seen that as our creator, God defines who we are. Uh, we don't define who we are first and foremost. God does. And God says that we're created in his image. We are created uh, to reflect him and represent him and to relate to him. And that means we have significant dignity and worth, each and every one of us. But it also means that we have a humble status because we are not God. Uh, we are created in his image. And we've also seen that no matter how our past has been, no matter how ugly or nasty or sinful our past has been, that God's grace is able to shape our identity into a new person. So we've seen that for those who believe in Christ Jesus, we are new creations in Christ. We are the body of Christ here on earth. We are a kingdom of priests. And today we're going to be looking at a passage from Galatians to see one more way of how Christ defines who we are for those of us who believe. Now, as I've said over the last several sermons in the series, if you are a non-believer, uh, not a follower of Christ, this sermon still uh, relates to you. And I hope that you see something of the joy that comes uh, from being connected to Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. If you would like to follow along in a Bible, feel free to, but the scripture should be here up on the screen, Galatians 2, verses 15 and 16. This is God's word. Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, writes, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are thankful that you have given us uh, your word. You are, you are good to us. And you've not only given us your word, you've given us each other. Uh, you've given us this opportunity to worship together. You've given us this day that you have made that we are to be glad and rejoice in it. And most of all, you've given us yourself in Christ. Uh, will you help us to see his beauty and his wonder, to see more of who he is and what he has done for us and the promises that are all yes and amen in him that by your spirit we can be a, a group of people who will worship you and rejoice in you and serve you and others because we know who we are, or better, we know whose we are. 
Help us to see that. And Lord, for those who are here who do not yet believe, or those who are watching online, will you draw them to yourself even today? Holy Spirit, give them eyes to see and help them to see more of who Jesus is. We pray in his name. Amen. So uh, back in 1954, I believe, there was a, a lady named Dorothy Martin. And she claimed to have received a message from an otherworldly source. And this otherworldly source said that there was coming a flood that was going to sweep over her area and kill many people. The flood was supposed to come on December 21st. But the message went on that she and others who believed her message would be rescued on December 17th at 4 p.m. So she convinced a group of people that what her prediction was true and that this small group of people, they were gathered in her backyard waiting for the guardians who were apparently aliens from another planet who were going to come and sail them away. But four o'clock came and went with no aliens sailing them away. After a while, uh, Miss Martin abruptly went back inside and some of the people who were gathered, they left, but others went inside to see what she might say next. And instead of admitting that her prophecy was wrong, Mrs. Martin claimed it was a practice session. That the aliens wanted to make sure that they were well-trained and that they wouldn't make any mistakes when the sailing away actually happened. So at midnight that night, Mrs. Martin claimed to receive another message, and this time a flying saucer was coming right then and there, and everyone had to get on board immediately or else they would be left behind. So they went outside and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and at 2 a.m. they finally gave up because no UFO showed up. The next day, Mrs. Martin claimed to receive another message. This time, part of, that part of it was a repeated statement that says, and I quote, I have never been tardy, I have never kept you waiting, I have never disappointed you in anything. Now at that point, I would think that Mrs. Martin would go, well, I think you did keep me waiting, and I think you did disappoint me a little bit. But instead, she convinced the whole gang to come back to her house and wait for the UFO to pick them up on December 21st at midnight. Now if you remember from earlier in the story, December 21st was when the massive flood was supposed to come through. It did not flood, and the UFO did not save them from the non-existent flood. But once again, Mrs. Martin did not admit that she was wrong. She, instead, she doubled down, and she in, got this group together on Christmas Eve to wait for the aliens to come sail away with them. And this time, a crowd of 200 
showed up to watch what would happen. And of course, no one flew away. No UFO showed up. One of the group members, though, claimed that the reason that they were not taken by the aliens was because the crowd was so big. Apparently, the aliens were shy. And they, so they disguised themselves and were in the crowd so that no one would know that they were actually there. But they didn't want to sweep people away with all those people watching. Mrs. Martin never lost her faith in these aliens. In fact, she eventually went by the name of Sister Thedra and founded, I hope I say this correctly, the Order of Sanata and Sanat Kumara, supposedly the names of the two alien guardians that were going to take them away. Now what happened with Miss Martin and her followers, it seems really bizarre. A bit extreme. The kind of thing that we can giggle at. But it's not all that uncommon to convince ourselves that even though we're wrong, we try to pretend like we're right. And we try to justify ourselves with ourselves and to other people. Human beings are notoriously bad at admitting we're wrong. We'd rather try to prove that we are right, even in the face of overwhelming evidence that we are not. We are prone to try to justify ourselves. We are all prone to spinning a story in our heads, and sometimes out loud to others, to try to prove that we are right and everybody else is wrong. We are prone to defend ourselves, that we are right, that we are innocent, that we are above reproach, we are warranted in what we say, think, or do. In fact, I talked to one person one time who said there was nobody in prison that was guilty of the crime they were put there for. We want to justify ourselves so that we don't have to face the possibility that we are wrong in some way. And yet, when we look at what the scriptures say, it talks about how we're wrong a lot. <laughs> and and we, we tend to want to even justify ourselves there. Well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy, you know, the, the Satanist who likes to eat babies. I'm not as bad as that. But that's not the way that God sees us or views us or judges us. And so today we're going to be talking about justification, not how we justify ourselves, but how God justifies sinners. In fact, what we're going to say today about our identity, who we are, and this goes for those who believe in Jesus, I want to make sure that I'm saying that very clearly, for those of us who are in Christ, we are justified before God. That's the big picture of what we're going to talk about today. For those of us who are in Christ, we are justified before God. We see this very clearly in Galatians 2, verse 16, where Paul writes, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. So the question I think we have to ask, we can see that, okay, God is doing the justifying in this passage, but what does it mean to be justified according to this passage? What does that mean? In the starting illustration about Dorothy Martin, um, to justify ourselves means to defend ourselves against someone who says we're wrong, to try to prove that we're innocent of wrong, to say that we're not guilty, to, to, to say, well, it may seem like I'm doing wrong, but really I'm in the right. That's what we mean when we try to justify ourselves. But what does it mean to be justified by God? Well, it, it has a little bit of overlap at least because to be justified before God is to have a right standing with God. To be justified is to have a right standing with God. Again, let's read Galatians 2, 16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. The idea here is because of your relationship with Jesus, you don't have to justify yourself before God. God justifies you before God because of Jesus. God is the one who says, you are in a right relationship with me. You are in a right, you have a right status before me, not because of what you've done, but because of Jesus. That's really good news. Because think about it. How do you think about your status before God? You know, let's be honest. Maybe some of you don't think about it at all. You know, you go from day to day and you don't really think about how you're standing before God is. You're just worried about getting done what you got to do today. And God never even comes into your mind. That's, that's for some of us. Maybe for others of us, we think that as long as the good things that we do outweigh the bad things that we do, then we are right with God. So as long as, again, as long as we're not like, you know, the Hitler supporter, our good deeds are outweighing our bad deeds, we must be okay before God. Or maybe some of you are thinking, well, that doesn't quite fit because, you know, I'm not sure that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. So what if... I do certain things. Like I come to a worship service like this. God surely has to accept me then. Or if I pray every day. Or, wow, I read my Bible every day. Surely that makes me right with God. The problem with all of those views is it's not taking our relationship with God seriously enough. And it's not taking our sin seriously enough, because the scriptures are very clear that none of us, and, and I do mean none of us, none of us can have a right standing with God by the things we do. Not me, not you, not the most holy person you know on earth, the most upstanding citizen that you know they cannot have a right standing with God by the things 
that we do. Let's go back and look at this passage to see what Paul actually says. In verse 15, he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. What what he's getting at there is he's, he's, he's a Jew and he's writing to both Jews and Gentiles, but he's saying, look, as Jews, we grew up with the scriptures. We grew up hearing about God saving people from Egypt and bringing them into the promised land. That's our inheritance. That's who we are. That's our identity. And we know that the truth of God, the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, we know it all. It's kind of like that person that you know, comes to Sunday school and they go to the worship service, and they do life groups, and they, whenever, whatever the church is doing, you know, you're always there because you, you just, you know, you grew up in it, and that's part of what you do as a religious person. But then Paul goes on to say in verse 16, not, yeah, we're Jews, and we know all this stuff, but yet even we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, to be declared right by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you hear that last phrase? By works of the law, no one will be right with God. And you know why that is? Because we're all sinners. Every single one of us. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all said things and done things and thought things that God says, this is wrong, and yet we did it anyway. Or God says, these are things that are right, and we say, I don't want to do that, I'll do this instead. And yet, almost wired into our DNA is a performance mentality. Are you with me on this? We think that if there's a problem, how do we fix it? See, first of all, we say we fix it. I'm the one who has to fix this. And what do I need to do? I need to do better. I need to do more. I need to work harder. I need to get it right. That's the way that we think about most things in life, including our relationship with God. Christian, and and for for non-Christians, you can can shut out for a minute. Uh, Christian, have you ever not had your quiet time in the morning? You know, not prayed in the morning, not read your Bible, not did your devotions or whatever you want to call it, whatever phrase you use, and your day goes badly, and you think, yeah, that's God. That's God showing me that I'm not in a right relationship with him anymore because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Anybody bold enough to admit that they've been there, done that? I have. You know, it's one thing to have the performance mentality when you're a student in school or when you're an athlete on the field. Or when you're a businessman trying to increase the productivity of your business. But when it comes to having a right relationship with God, that mentality is deadly. 
Because what it does is it takes the focus off of the one who can actually justify you, the the one who can actually make you right with himself, and it puts it on you, the one who keeps failing to do what God has called you to do. And for those of you who are saying, but, 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 I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm not. I mean, okay, I may not be Mother Teresa or whoever, you know, your favorite saint is, but, you know, I'm not that bad either. Well, let me ask you, how good is good enough? How good is good enough? There's this uh, Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. Some of you are Calvin and Hobbes fans. If you're, if you're not, it's about a boy and his uh, pet tiger, I guess. And um, Calvin, Hobbes, Calvin says, I'm getting nervous about Christmas. And Hobbes says, you're worried you haven't been good. And Calvin says, that's just the question. It's all relative. What's Santa's definition? How good do you have to be to qualify as good? I mean, I haven't killed anybody. That's good, right? I haven't committed any felonies. I didn't start any wars. Wouldn't you say that's pretty good? Wouldn't you say that I should get lots of presents? And Hobbes says, but maybe good is more than just the absence of bad. And then Calvin says, see, that's what worries me. (laughs) It's the same for followers of Christ, just as for those who are not. For religious people and irreligious people, for theists and atheists, all of us are inconsistent in the way we live. The values that we hold, All of us fall short. Every one of us. And if we have to try to live by God's standards, which is perfection, none of us make it. None of us. And that's why Paul says in Galatians 2 that it's not about what you do. You cannot be justified by the works of the law. There must be something else that makes you right with God. And that's what we want to spend the rest of this sermon talking about. You see, it's being united to Christ by faith. That is what gives us a right standing with God. And I want to really focus here. So please, if you haven't been paying attention up to this point, please pay attention to this part. Because this is what gives life. This is what brings joy. This is what should make every single one of us Presbyterians become Pentecostal like that. Because being united to Christ by faith is what gives us a right standing with God. Not what we do. Again, Galatians 2.16, to pound this point in a little further... We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, the things that you do, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. So we believe in Jesus 
And as we believe, we are united to Him. And that means that we're right with God. That almost sounds heretical, doesn't it? To say that, wait a second, you're saying that it's not how good I am, but it's my relationship with a person who died on a cross and rose from the dead. I mean, that's amazing, but it's my relationship to him that makes me right? Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. And that's exactly what the scriptures are saying. It's not about how good you are trying to be. It is about Jesus. And, and maybe some of you are thrown by the language of being united to Christ. Maybe you're thinking, well, I've just heard, you know, you just believe. Yeah, yeah you believe, but it's because you are united to Jesus is what makes you right. Not your faith. Your faith is just the instrument. Your faith is the reception of it. Like when you put up, you know, for those of you who don't have cable and you use one of those like digital things, satellite things that you put on your TV or whatever, and it recedes, that thing's not doing anything except for receiving, right? It's not working, it's just receiving. That's what you do when you believe. You're just receiving something. And what are you receiving? Jesus and all that he has. Let me try to illustrate this for you with a... a lengthy illustration, so bear with me. And this is going to take some imagination for some of you, all right? So I want you to imagine that you are single. For some of you, that's not a big deal. I want you to imagine that you're poor. Again, for some of you, not a big deal. And I want you to imagine that you're in debt. Again, for some of you, probably not that big of a deal. But I want you to imagine that you are a single, poor, and in debt person who is so in debt that you will never be able to pay it off. I mean, never, ever. I'm talking you could win the jackpot in the South Carolina lottery, which is around $123 million as of this morning, and not even pay the interest kind of debt. We're talking you're in than the United States. And that's bad. There's no way you would ever pay that off. Not a chance. But then a Googleplex error comes around. And I had to get a really big number. All right, Googleplex. If you don't know what Googleplex is, imagine a number that is nine, that, that if you started with one and then 94 volumes were written, and each volume has a million zeros in it. That is a Googleplex, right? That's a lot. There's no such thing as that, actually. I mean, there's no such thing as a Googleplex error, because we don't have that much money in the world. But let's just, for the sake of imagination and for this illustration, say that there's a Googleplex in the air, if that's the way you say it, who comes to you and says, I want to marry you. And you're like, don't you know how poor I am? Yes, I want to marry you. Don't you know how much in debt I am? Yes, I still want to marry you. And I'll pay off all your debt, no problem. I mean, I'm a Googleplex heir. It's like nothing for me to pay millions or even trillions of dollars. 
Nothing. So this richest of the rich person marries you and pays off all your debt. All of it. Every single penny. Trillions of dollars of debt. But guess what? Even after that debt is paid, you're still at zero, right? I mean, you don't really own anything. You've just gotten out of the red, and now you're sort of in the black because you don't owe anything anymore. But then this richest of the rich Googleplex heir says to you, everything I have is yours. I mean, you're my spouse. So I put your name on my bank accounts. I put your name on my stock folio. I put your name on my debit card. Everything I own is yours, and I'm sharing it with you. Now you've gone from single, poor, in debt to united to someone who is so rich that they paid off your debt, and now you're as rich as they are. Not because of who you are or what you've done, but because of your relationship to that spouse. You hear me? You catch what I'm throwing out there? That is an illustration of what Jesus has done for us. That not only did he come and pay the penalty of our debt of sin to God by dying on a cross and shedding his blood that we sang about today. And yes, his blood has washed away our sins. He has covered our debt in full. That's why he's able to say, it is finished. There's no more debt to be paid. Not a single penny. And yet, there is more. Because when Jesus was resurrected... He also gave us, who believe, who are united to him, every spiritual blessing there is to be given. And that means that Christ's righteousness covers you. If you believe, if you're united to Jesus, you have Everything that Jesus has to offer, he says, I'm sharing it with you. My right standing with God, it's yours. What we're going to talk about next week, my, uh, my being a child of God, a son of God, I'm sharing that with you too. My inheritance that I'm going to get at the end of time, hey, that's yours too. Everything that I have, it's yours. And not because you did anything except for receive it as a gift. There ought to be at least somebody who wants to like jump an aisle over that. I mean, that's some good news. You didn't do squat. And Jesus did it all. And he says, it's all yours. And all you do is say, I want to receive it. Wow. I mean, that's what the scriptures say, right? Philippians 3, 9. 
where Paul is talking about various things we can't get into right now today because of the time, but he says, I want to be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not me doing a lot of things and trying to be righteous before God, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and depends on faith. It's being connected to Jesus. Or 1 Corinthians 1.30, where Paul writes, And because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. You're united to Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That's everything that you have, because you're found in Jesus. And that's why he says in Romans 8.1, and I want you to hear these beautiful words, because they are words that we can live by. Romans 8.1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter how bad you have been, no matter how bad you see your heart being, no matter how much sin and muck and nastiness that is in your soul right now, if Jesus is united to you, there is no condemnation. From God. Not one bit. Did you hear what I just said? There's no condemnation. Not a bit. I mean, God doesn't look at you and go, well, you missed reading, you know, Malachi yesterday, so just gonna have to condemn you on that. No. It's not about your performance at all. Your being right with God has everything to do with Jesus and nothing to do with you other than you receive it. You hear that? That is such good news. We don't have to try to justify ourselves. We are justified before God in Christ. We don't have to, be perfor we don't have to perform to be accepted. We are accepted by God in Christ. We don't have to worry about being condemned because Jesus took our condemnation at the cross. And then he rose from the dead to give us the status of being righteous in him. We don't have to pretend that we don't mess up. And church folk, hey, don't we do this a lot? Pretend that we don't really mess up. Pretend that our lives are so much better than they really are. Pretend that we've got it together and all those other people, they don't. We don't have to pretend. Why? Because everybody knows we do. We're not fooling anybody. But also because those mess-ups are covered in Christ. So, what do we do with this? What are some action points? First, and this is obvious, I hope, if Jesus is our righteousness, if Jesus is the only one who can make us right before God, then here's what you need to do. Cling to Christ. Don't cling to anything else. Don't try to make it happen on your own. You can't do it. So cling to Jesus. Cling to Christ. And that's true for the believer and for the unbeliever. If you are an unbeliever today, what you need to be right before God is found in Jesus. And if you are a believer, what you need to be right with God is found in Jesus. There's no difference there. The only difference is one of you believe and one of you doesn't. And then second, and I think this is, it's not as important as the first, but it's, it's up there. 
remind yourself of your right status in Christ daily. We are like leaky buckets. We hear this message and we go, yes, Jesus is my all in all. And then Monday morning, we're back on the grind. We're like, uh, my son has some gerbils. And, you know, they have one of those little wheels in there. And I, I don't know if you know this or not, but gerbils like to run at night. It is not that great. But they get in there and they go, and they're just running as hard as they can, but they're getting nowhere. That's what we are doing when we're trying to be right with God. Running as fast as we can and getting nowhere. Do you like that? So we need to remind ourselves daily, it's not about what I do, it's about what Christ has done. It's not about me as much as it is about Jesus. And it's because I am in Christ that I'm right with God. If we were to remind ourselves of that every day, think of the freedom that that would bring. The joy that that would bring. You know, so often I see so many of us Christians, we can't smile. We look like, you know, we have constant sour face, like we've been sucking on a lemon. And, and I mean, and we, and we don't have any joy in our lives. And, we, and I wonder why. Maybe it's because we've forgotten the truth of the good news of Jesus. That no matter what happens to me, I am right in Christ, not because of what I do, but because of what he has done. You know, some of you know that on this very day in 1517, a guy named Martin Luther uh, nailed a document to the church door in Wittenberg, the, the 95 Theses, as they were called. And some people get it mixed up. They think he was making a protest. He was making a protest, but that's just the bulletin board of the day. You know, they just put it on the door so that, hey, say, I want to talk about this. Well, the printing press was invented around the same time, and those words got reprinted over and over and over again, and that started what we call the Protestant Reformation. And one of the big deals that Martin Luther was trying to get across is, look, we cannot work our way into a right relationship with God. We can't. There's only one way to be saved, and that is Jesus. Jesus and all that he brings to us. And we receive that solely through faith and not by the works that we do. That's why we can sing at the end of this service that a mighty fortress is our God, because he's the only place where we can be safe, is in Jesus. Safe from condemnation. Safe from whatever the devil and the world may throw at us. Safe because we have a right relationship with God in Christ. All right, so I want you to think about that as we sing this last hymn. And I want you to remember that we're to rejoice in Jesus. So let's rejoice in Christ. Let's rejoice in Christ because he is our righteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this good news 
that we cannot make ourselves right with you, but you make us right with you because of Jesus, his death and resurrection. You have made us right. For those who don't believe that, open their eyes to see the truth of it, that they can rejoice. For those of us who have received it, but we're not rejoicing in it, help us to see it even deeper and wider and broader and higher than ever before so that we can sing and rejoice because of what we have in Jesus. Help all of us to be worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth, by our lips and by what we do because we're right with you in Christ. And it's in his name we pray this. Amen.